Thank you, Mike, for sharing this week's gospel. I was reading the paper, and the, the article I was focused on for a while was about uh, restaurants trying to do rehiring, especially in large, uh, expensive cities, New York, Boston, Dallas. And one of the problems as people start coming back to restaurants is that they don't have enough people they can even hire. And there are lots of reasons for that, but one of the things the article went into a lot of detail on was the people just aren't there anymore. In, in those high-cost cities, uh, people who used to work in the restaurants uh, couldn't afford to keep living through the pandemic, and so they left town and probably aren't coming back. And, and, and many of them who were interviewed said one of the reasons they left was they, they just needed a, a, a fresh start uh, or a second chance. And, and working in restaurants as they thought about their lives, it, it's hard work at unpredictable hours and sometimes at unpredictable tips and, and wages. And, and they just wanted a, a different, different start in life, a different direction. And so they left and they're not coming back. Hopefully, many of them will, in fact, get the second chance, the fresh start they're looking for. Um, I've done some volunteer work, new, new thought here, but related. Uh, I've done some volunteer work for an organization called uh, Milwaukee Jobs Works, and it's a, a faith-based effort to help people who are uh, deeply unemployable, so people who have had addiction issues, uh, people who have been incarcerated, to help them to get back into the workforce. And a typical statistic is that uh, someone in that, with kind of that profile, uh, they have maybe an eight to 10% chance of sticking with a job for one year if they come out uh, of addiction or uh, prison uh, without any support. Uh, JobsWorks gets that number up around 30%, so three times higher than, than if the support wasn't there. And so it's, it's a cool and important ministry. One of the people I, I met as a part of doing that was uh, a guy named um, uh, uh, Jose Acevedo. And, and uh, he uh, is, is one of the people who interfaces with employers and, and uh, therefore is constantly working with employers to, to find the right person to work for them, someone they're willing to give a second chance to. Maybe that last name, Acevedo, uh, rings a little bell with you. You've seen him, I think many of you on uh, TV. His son was Joel Acevedo, um, who died uh, uh, in, the, in the home of an off-duty a uh, Milwaukee police officer who held him in a headlock while someone else uh, held his uh, feet down for over 10 minutes uh, in, until he died. And, and the courts will sort out all of the issues related to that. But uh, one of the really hard things about that is, is we've been able to listen to uh, uh, some of the audio recordings of how that went down and you can hear uh, Joel just saying, please let me go home. And, and, and they just keep holding him and, and literally squeezing the life out of him. He got no second chance. And I can't imagine what that would be like to be his dad who really devotes his, his life and his work to trying to give other people second chances. To hear your son say that and to realize that he was not 
given a second chance, nor will he ever have the opportunity for one. I don't know how you work your way through that. Uh, I don't, uh, as a pastor of the congregation, I, I wouldn't really have to know anyone to, to still be able to say the following, which I think would be true just based on, on statistics and a congregation uh, our size in, in the last week. For sure, there's, there's somebody who, who blew a test in school. There's somebody who probably blew it pretty big at work. In the last week or month, uh, there's somebody listening to this right now who blew up a relationship, maybe their first relationship. Maybe somebody out there who's blown up their fifth relationship pretty recently. There's probably somebody listening who feels like they're an introvert and, and have hardly any connections or friends as a result. They've not made connection. But there's, there's probably also somebody out there who feels they're an extrovert and feels like they, they have no friends and connections because they realize that their extroversion takes up all the air in the room and they just kind of burn relationships out. And addictions and depressions and anxieties and, and a lot of things that we go through in life. In other words, I, I can't imagine, honestly, that uh, anyone who's listening, nor I who am speaking, uh, am not now or haven't at some point in life uh, longed for a second chance or a fresh start. And sometimes we get them. And when we do, sometimes that's a credit to our own resilience and faith and effort. Usually it's not a solo act, though. Usually somebody else is a part of that in some way. And, and when someone else is a part of that, it's an act of grace and love and goodness and hope on their part and ours. That's what second chances and fresh starts are in life. And, and frequently, we're not even fully aware of, of how uh, people do that for us or with us. But it's kind of like fingerprints. You can't see them, but they're there. Uh, these fingerprints of love, divine and human, uh, one neighbor to another. It's also true that sometimes we, we don't get second chances or fresh starts or we fail to take advantage of them. And sometimes that is our own fault because we aren't resilient, we don't care, we don't try, whatever. But I, I would suggest that it's the same, that, that most of the time we, we don't get into that place by ourselves. We have help, so to speak, and that help comes from people around us and, and the darkness and hurtfulness and hatefulness that too often defines our relationships as well. This then gets us to the gospel lesson Mike just read. I often think that when people read anything from the Bible, uh, they just think, oh, well, that's holy stuff. And on that first Easter night, those disciples must have been praying or having a Bible study or singing Kumbaya in anticipation of Jesus coming back. But I'm pretty sure that's not how it actually went down. And John's gospel tips us off to that when it says, you know, they were locked in the room for fear of the Jewish authorities, literally the Jews. Now, we know empirically that that's probably an irrational fear on their part. In other words, 99% of the Jews in the world didn't know Jesus or actually supported him. There's this, like, the chief priests who had it in for him. 
Uh, could they still be a source of danger to the disciples? Probably not, because remember on Good Friday, they put all their chips on their table, on the table trying to get rid of Jesus. And what did Pilate do? He took all those chips for himself. In other words, they had no more chips to play at this point. They probably weren't a threat to the disciples. But fear is what? So often it is irrational and misplaced, but it doesn't mean you aren't afraid. We've all been afraid, and when you're afraid, it's all you can think about. John's Gospel tells us the disciples were afraid. They were probably a few other things as well. Can't you just imagine them thinking over that last week time and time again in their minds? Can't you imagine the guilt and shame of having abandoned him? If you're Peter, you said you'd die with him, and instead you denied him three times. And then that morning, the, the tomb is empty. Mary reports that she saw him. And, and so you're, you're puzzled, you're confused, you're, you're burdened, you're weighed down. Of course you're in a locked room. Jesus shows up. And now this, this is the important thing. Because uh, those disciples had blown it. And uh, there is no reason why Jesus couldn't have, have ripped into them and laid a guilt trip on them, and, and laid a lot of consequences on them. And we as human beings, who could blame them? You'll notice he does none of that. Uh, we get so hung up on that word accountability and, and consequences. Uh, Jesus just shows up and says, peace be with you. He doesn't have time for that stuff. That just keeps so often the disasters of the past going. That's part of the darkness. He forgives it. Peace be with you. And then he has a mission for them. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, he gives them back identity and purpose and mission and accountability and, and responsibility and possibility. He gives that all to them by giving them his spirit. It's a profound, fresh start, an amazing second chance. Who isn't there? Thomas isn't there. He always gets called Doubting Thomas because he then doubts what's happened. It's, it's interesting that he of all disciples isn't there because when we meet him elsewhere in scripture, he's like, he's like Peter. He's really out there. He's frequently the first to speak. Earlier in John's gospel, when Jesus decides to go to Jerusalem, you kind of get this aside where Thomas says to the other disciples, well, let's go with him and die with him there. Uh, maybe he wasn't afraid. Maybe he was still dealing with all of the unfinished of Jesus, business of Jesus' ministry. Maybe he was in charge of burying Judas. Have no idea why Thomas wasn't there. But he wasn't. And, and he won't believe it until he can see Jesus. Week two, Jesus comes back. And see now, talk about second chances and fresh starts. He comes back specifically for Thomas. And he meets Thomas in his doubt, right where he's at. Go ahead, put your fingers into the wounds. At which point Thomas, true to his normal traits of just being out there, says, I don't need to do that, Jesus, my Lord and my God. And it says that he believes. That's a powerful word in John's Gospel. Earlier on the first Easter, 
Peter and the unnamed beloved disciple race to the tomb and they look in and it said that the unnamed beloved disciple believes, but they don't understand. In other words, faith isn't built on understanding or doctrines or creeds and all that stuff that sometimes uh, becomes actually a distraction. Uh, believing is to be all in. Believing is to stake yourself on, on goodness as opposed to hurtfulness. It is to accept the invitation even if you're not sure you'll fit, but the people have welcomed you, so why not try? Believing is to stand up for someone who is being uh, unfairly and unnecessarily disadvantaged or put down, and you don't know if you have the strength to do that or what the reaction against you will be, but you stand up and you do it anyway. That's believing. Believing is to be all in on things that cannot always be seen and touched, but which are about love and kindness and hope and goodness. John's Gospel interestingly, is, is maybe the only one that has more than one author. Uh, chapter 21, for example, appears to be an epilogue. The, the gospel itself comes to its conclusion in, in chapter 20, the, the portion we read. And, and the way it comes to its conclusion is to say to all of us who read it that these things are written so that in reading it we might believe, be all in, and have life in his name. Fresh starts, second chances. Thomas got one, the disciples got one. Every once in a while in life you get one or I get one. It's an amazing thing. Peace be with you. If you receive one this week, receive it as the blessing it is. If you have a chance to offer one this week, offer it. Be someone's hope, goodness, love, and kindness. Leave a few fingerprints on our world, people of God, fingerprints of love. And then together, like Thomas, may we be all in and in awe and wonder just say to Jesus, my Lord and my God.